welcome to the second Ethical Marketing Podcast, and it's great to be back again, following on from our first one with Shan Conway Wood, which has been downloaded quite a lot of times, thank you very much, and in uh, over 20 countries, which we're really pleased with. So, uh, Hannah's back with me again today. Yeah, really great to be back. I mean, I'm really excited because today we are talking with Richard Wilson, the co-founder of Stop Funding Hate, which is a particularly relevant topic um, because of all their campaigning against advertising with GB News. Really looking forward to this one because if you've got an interest in this subject, you will have seen the Stop Funding Hate campaign everywhere it's been great but first we will go over some of the stories from the last month or so that have interested us one really exciting and positive thing to come out of recent news is the new network of b bus stops which seem to be springing up in leicester so living roof bus shelters which seem to be springing up across the city so replacing and revamping city bus shelters which i mean i think i can speak for everyone when i say i would love to see that in my city I think this is a great story. Uh, Clear Channel, who are one of the biggest, if not the biggest outdoor advertising company in the UK, are a part of the initiative. So it's great to see someone like that getting behind it. But I just think it looks it looks great. And it just feels like something that amazes me that not everyone else is doing. Yeah, absolutely. Because as we can see, you know, it really contributes towards biodiversity and climate resilience. So it also absorbs rainwater from falling on the roof and helps to reduce the urban heat island effect. And really just helping to make the city a greener and a happier place, which, you know, at this point in time, we can't complain about that. It would just be absolutely wonderful to see some more cities picking up on that kind of initiative. Yeah, I just think it's a really interesting thing. I mean, they've got uh, living shelters, which will have the the bees on. They're also going to have solar powered shelters, which means it'll be lighting within bus shelters. It it was interesting because I didn't know this, but apparently this is something that they uh, have been doing in the Netherlands already. It's called the Bed and Breakfast for Bees Pollinator Strategy, apparently. Well done to Clear Channel and Leicester City Council. Thank you for inspiring us. And what about you, Stuart? Is there anything that's been capturing your eyes particularly in the news just now? Well, one of the things I've noticed is that Apple have been adapting their software on their iPhones and iPads for people with disabilities. I think this is a really good thing. Um, and it would be great if more companies could take this into account when they're moving forward. Speaking of the Netherlands, as we were with regards to the bees, Scotch and Soda and Plastic Whale have launched a plastic fishing boat made from recycled bottles on the Amsterdam canals. This is something Plastic Whale have been doing for a while. They currently have a fleet of boats made from recycled bottles. Apparently it takes three months to make a, a boat and it's made from over 5,000 PET bottles. Yeah, so I think it's really interesting that you're taking stuff that is found uh, litter and such like and making it into something else. So I think that's really cool. They've been doing this for a while, but this World Environment Day, they launched a new boat, which was done with Amsterdam-based fashion brand Scotch and Soda. So the boat is called the Free Spirit of Amsterdam. I just think it's a really nice way of using, seeing recycled materials being used in a, in a really interesting way. It's really exciting to see that they're not just doing this to the environment, they're actually getting people actively involved because from the 12th of June this year, Scotch and Soda customers are able to participate by booking their own fishing trips on the brand's boat every other Saturday during the summer months. So that's going to start on the 19th of June and they can just be booked on their website. So if anyone's visiting Amsterdam, definitely worth a visit. Absolutely. Um, That will have been going now for a few weeks, so I'm interested to see how that's getting on. So closer to home again, something that's really exciting happening is that the Scottish government have launched yet another climate campaign. So this is going to be focused on TV, radio and digital, encouraging people across Scotland to come together to tackle the climate emergency. And this has been launched ahead of the COP26 in Glasgow later this year. 
Yeah, this sounds really interesting and the campaign will provide information and resources to help support the choices and decisions we can take to help reduce emissions. So it's all really about us taking a bit of responsibility, which I don't think is a bad thing. Absolutely. And kind of relating to what we're going to be speaking about in today's episode, thinking about the actions that consumers can have on these kinds of things. So figures have shown that at least three quarters of the Scottish public agree that action on climate change must be taken now. So again, we're kind of seeing that, you know, the power of the people in this kind of situation. This is what consumers want and this this is the outcome of it. So it's really positive to see that what Scottish people are wanting is actually being tackled by the government in a new campaign. I think it's over the next few years, the, the kind of consumer power is going to be the biggest thing in, in shifting, creating a shift in attitudes. And I think this is a, a sign of that. And I think, again, this is something we'll no doubt cover when we chat to uh, Richard in a little bit. Um, another really interesting thing in a kind of similar vein is that new research from Unilever shows that almost 50% of people from marginalised communities feel they've been stereotyped in some way through advertising. So I think this is quite a powerful study because it, it obviously shows that a lot of people, and we're talking about people with disabilities, Black, Hispanic, Asian, LGBTQ plus people, all feel that they have been stereotyped in some way through advertising. The study also highlights that it isn't just marginalised people who feel the impact. 71% believe stereotypes in media are harming the younger generation. So it's really uh, quite a wide-ranging study that is highlighting how people are feeling with regards to how they see themselves on screen or in mm. advertising. Just the figures are quite shocking. Uh, a staggering 55% of women of Asian heritage believe that stereotypes in advertising don't represent them. 46% of men with a disability say they often see negative portrayals of people like them in ads. And 66% of LGBTQ plus aged 18 to 34 believe people from diverse backgrounds feature in ads just to make up the numbers. So it, it, we are obviously seeing a shift towards seeing more diverse ads. But I think what's really important is that people are portrayed in an authentic way within those. To address this, Unilever is broadening its 2016 commitment to unstereotype and is challenging itself to create marketing, not just advertising that will help influence the next generation of people to be free from prejudice. Actions which they say are going to help them. So this is something that other businesses could possibly look at as well. To provoke inclusive thinking from end-to-end -end marketing processes. To ensure an unstereotyped charter for every Unilever brand outlining the ED and I commitments the brand will deliver through its marketing. To work with more diverse and underrepresented groups on screen and behind the camera. And to eradicate any digital alterations to photography, 100% ban on changing models, body shape, type, proportion or skin colour. I think those are all such important aspects of the society that we live in now. And, you know, it's kind of harsh truth that these are things that need addressed. And hopefully with... Um, campaigns such as this from this kind of research we can actually start to work towards implementing these changes and, and see and seeing a better representation within the media and the marketing industry and so just to end just now a really interesting one for people that work within the industry is that the industry bodies have come together to help protect mental well-being and creativity so this is something that's been put together by a coalition of industry bodies, including the IPA, the Crown Commercial Service, NABs, Alliance of Independent Agencies, the Advertising Association, ISBA, and Social and Local CIC, who have put together a new pledge, and which is called the Brilliant Creative Minds Code of Conduct. And this has been done really to stamp out behaviours that impact employees' well-being and diminish creativity in the advertising and communications industry. And I think mental health is something that's very much come to the fore over the last year, especially with lockdowns and things like that. I think it's really, it's really good that the whole industry is coming together. 
Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And it's very interesting to see the things that they point out. So um, that some of the, the cultures that are compromising mental health include, you know, a long hours culture, a fear of job loss within agency work, excessive tender requirements and procurement processes, and also an unrealistic client timescale and demands. So um, by calling on agencies and clients to sign up to this new code and commit embedding the core principles of this into their workplace cultures, you know, we're really trying to minimise um, the risk of mental health and well-being against people working in these agencies. Yeah, I think it's a really good thing. Everyone, it's so important that everyone protects their mental health. So uh, yeah, um, it's great to see the industry coming together and trying to do good things. Um, and it's kind of what this podcast is all about. It's about the, the marketing and communications industry coming together and, and saying, yeah, we can do better. And this is a great example of that. But if you have anything you'd like us to talk about, feel free to get in touch. You can email us on podcasts at ethicalmarketingnews.com and yeah anything that you think we could talk about or you'd be interested to hear us talking about or anyone you'd like us to try and interview just drop us a line Today's podcast guest is Richard Wilson from Stop Funding Hate, who have been all over the news at the moment. So this should be a really interesting conversation, a lot about placement of ads and about why it's really important who you're seeing next to. So uh, thank you very much for joining us, Richard. Thanks for having me on the show. I suppose we'll start at the beginning. Can you tell us a bit about the history of Stop Funding Hate? Yeah, so the, the starting point for the Stop Funding Hate campaign was back in 2016. Um when there was this huge surge in in hate crimes, uh, particularly targeting migrants and Muslims and other other minority groups in the UK. And this was happening in the summer of 2016 in the context of of obviously the referendum that that took place that year. But it had been preceded by years and years of very inflammatory, vitriolic, anti-migrant headlines, particularly and anti-Muslim headlines. And a lot of people were very concerned that the situation was getting more and more dangerous and, and getting worse and worse. Um, and there was a, a real growing sense of concern that I had and that many of my friends had that um, ha- where's this going to lead and what's it going to take to persuade people in the media to take a, a more responsible approach when even even in the face of, of you know, a big surge in hate crime on the streets, they, they were continuing to push out those sorts of headlines. Um, so we hit on this idea of using what little power we all had um, by using our voices as consumers to talk to advertisers and pushing advertisers to stop advertising with uh, media that were pumping out those sorts of inflammatory headlines. So your background, was it in marketing or was it in another different field? So I'd actually been working in the charity sector for a long time. And I was working in the charity sector at the time we launched the campaign. And But I, I had been working in fundraising. So I guess I had the kind of mindset of thinking about where's money coming from, where's it going, the, the, the kind of central importance of funding and money to what's going on in the world. So I think that may have probably played a, played a part in the thinking behind the campaign. The, the amazing thing was that the campaign ended up getting much bigger than we ever expected. Uh, We've now got over 200,000 followers on Facebook, over 100,000 on Twitter. And we've seen some big changes in the three newspapers that originally featured the campaign. So the Daily Mail, the Sun, the Daily Express, 
not for a minute suggesting that everything's fine now with those uh, newspapers, but there has been a big reduction in the anti-migrant uh, headlines particularly. Um, so what we're starting to do now is broaden out our, our focus and look more at the kind of big systemic issues in the media, looking at other problematic media as well. Um, very recently, GB News, for example, and we're a, we're a community-driven campaign, so the, the energy and the power of the campaign comes from people on social media using their voices um, to both to highlight things to us that we need to respond to, but then also the companies don't care what I think, but they do care what their customers think. So the, 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 the big sort of idea behind Stop Funding Hate is, is, is to kind of use that, that collective voice that we all have uh, to push things in a more positive direction. So uh, I'm assuming you see both the good and the bad of social media. We we do. So um, when we started, we we were very much focused just on the the, the sort of traditional press and the the sort of hate in the, the newspapers. But we this was 2016, and it's really interesting over the last five years how there's been a growing public debate about the levels of hate and misinformation on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Yes and those sorts of platforms. So that's also become a big part of our focus as well. Um, because if you're going to talk about hate, you've also got to talk about the problems on social media, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, there's always going to be some, you know, keyboard warriors who are spreading the same kind of negative messages that we can kind of see throughout the, the press examples that you're mentioning as well. I think there's probably always going to be a couple of people that come to mind um, when we think about those kinds of things. <laughs> yeah, there are. There are some, there are some, obviously, there are some big names on social media who've built a whole kind of career for themselves out of using, you know, Twitter and Facebook to, to pump out even in some, often even more inflammatory messages yeah. than you might see in a newspaper. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's this, I suppose there's also a kind of nexus where you'll see a story that might start off in a newspaper and then the same kind of narratives and tropes get transferred onto social media and it it all kind of feeds off it, itself. And, 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 and the, the hate on, on, on social media sort of amplifies those, those, those problematic narratives in the, in the traditional press. Mm-hmm. Um, but saying that, despite that, do you still feel like it has been an overall positive experience for you growing on social media? Do you think that's had like one of the most um, beneficial aspects to stop funding hate to get to gain you the popularity that you've got now? It's it's been incredibly positive, and I, I think the single thing that I found most inspiring is the number of people who've got involved in the campaign and. It's it, the, the, these the, these might be people who've cared about an issue for a long time. People people have come to us and said that you know I've been concerned about these problems for a very long time, but I felt powerless. And the number of people who've who've said to me that having had the opportunity to be part of the campaign and, and be part of the supportive community, they they actually don't feel so powerless anymore. And and th- this is a way that people are finding to 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 kind of yeah like overcome that that um, hopelessness that, that, that a lot of people feel in the face of this kind of big tidal wave of hate that we're, we're often seeing, that there's actually something people can do. And we've got a way that we can use that power that we have to do something about it. And I think that's that's been possibly the most positive thing for me. I love that. I think it's so nice 
to actually hear some positive stories about social media. I think a lot of the time we're kind of all focused on on the negative things that can occur from it. So it's, it's actually nice to be able to hear how it can be positive and it can make people feel more of a community and make people actually feel more inclusive as a society than um, than otherwise. So it's actually really nice to hear. <laughs> it's, it's great. It's great. And and and, and it's, it's been amazing as well when you see um, people taking action in solidarity mm-hmm. with with other people who faced hate in the media or in social media and and it feels like there's a there's a there's a a kind of community emerging of people from multiple different backgrounds who were all starting to support each other a bit more so when there's a horrible article in the papers about travelers you'll see people from across society jumping in and doing something about it and when there's a there might be something horrible happening on social media targeting trans people and then suddenly you see again a kind of really diverse community coming together to 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 respond to that so what one of the ideas behind the campaign one of our sort of hopes is that we're I suppose helping to build a community where people from all manner of different backgrounds and all manner of different experiences are all kind of uniting around this idea that an attack on one of us is an attack on all of us but equally we've all got a collective interest in working together to to challenge it wherever we see it. One of the things that we spoke about a little bit in last month's podcast I think was the, the feeling that trans people specifically seem to be getting a particularly hard time at things, especially on social media at the moment, there seems to be a very yes. rallied attempt to dehumanise trans people and take away their identity. So it, I think it's great to see people from all backgrounds coming together. It, it is inspiring. And I guess they're doing it because people from other backgrounds are coming together to hate. So, But the fact that there's people fighting that, I think, is so good. How important do you think ethics are within marketing and within the the third sector? I guess where you worked before. So important, and 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 I think we're seeing more and more why it's important. Um, because when you sort of look at the big picture and and you you sort of try to understand wh- where's all this hate coming from, where how is it that in the last five to ten years we've just seen a proliferation of really extreme forms of hate and racism that maybe for a long time we thought we're kind of being consigned to history, but it's like a lot of this stuff's been going, coming back. And one of the reasons it's been coming back in, in, in our view is that unfortunately it's become easier than ever to set up a website, pump out hateful, toxic clickbait, racist stories, transphobic stories, and make money off it. And the reason the and the, the making money part is because programmatic advertising particularly new technology within advertising has made it easier than ever for people to 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 profit from clickbait of all kinds um, and and actually what we're seeing is partly a kind of unintended consequence of people in well the 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 the, the advertising industry in a sense losing control of where money's going and not i mean even if they want to kind of look at it through an ethical lens it's really really hard to do when you've got millions of sites across the world that are all hoovering up advertising money and it's become really really difficult to apply any kind of checks to where that money's been going i think that was shown i mean about well, i suppose we'll come on to the next thing the big one which is the gb news campaign and i think that was shown very much on that because a lot of companies didn't realize they were advertising with gb news because they bought the advertising with sky that's right that's right i mean as, as I mean, at least we have to just take it at face value. But we, what we saw the first day or two that GB News launched was there were loads of brands on there that you 
you you you might be quite surprised to see there, like IKEA, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then quite quickly after that, when people started to challenge them and say, Are "You sure you want to be part of this channel?" Lots of brands were coming back and saying, um, "We we had no idea we were going to be here." Um, and I've even had brands message me saying, um, "We were put there without our consent." And I I, I mean, it's it's very hard to know <laughs> for sure what 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 the backstory is there but but at the very least it seems like a lot of brands were very surprised that they ended up on this particular channel because they bought a package um of advertising and hadn't for one reason or other realized that 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 was going to include being shown on gb news Mm -hmm. Um, and i guess there's a contrast because traditionally you would think of an advertising campaign as a brand would be thinking very carefully which publication do we want to be in? Which parts of town do we want to show the ads in? Um, and that feels like the big thing that's maybe changed in the last few years. For those who don't know, then uh, the if you've seen anything about advertisers with regards to GB News recently, that's pretty much going to be as a result of Stop Funding Hate. And uh, I can say that you've obviously made it because I got a new uh, Twitter follower yesterday called Stop Funding Cake using your uh, logo. So <laughs> somebody's parodying you somewhere. I, I, I actually think there may be a few of those now, uh, which is amazing. And the, the, the hilarious thing is it, it just builds the profile of the campaign even more. <laughs> uh, because, you know, if people are, if people are yeah, if, if people are talking about it for whatever reason, it, it, it obviously keeps, keeps building the, the debate, really, and keeps, keeps the noise going. Can you tell us a bit about the GB News campaign? Yeah, so um, it started um, sort of actually autumn last year um and we, we started to see news stories already uh, sort of from september onwards really saying that there were plans underway to launch at the time they were saying two fox news style television stations in britain and so two of them were on the way down the track and we immediately paid attention to that at stop funding hate because we have had a lot of really useful conversations and we've got we've got allies in the us who are campaigning uh, for ethical advertising in the us who've been talking for years about all of the huge horrible problems with the the original fox news so as soon as this this sort of narrative starts to build that there's going to be a british version of fox news we were we were quite concerned and we immediately were thinking well you know, we need to we need to engage with advertisers. We need to start talking to advertisers as soon as possible to say, look at the original Fox News. Is, are you sure you want to be associated with that kind of thing here? Mm-hmm. Um, and fast forward a few months, um, it was really interesting because the the even before GB News launched, um, the other channel that was due to be coming out in the UK that had been described as a Fox News style channel was, was dropped. And that was like the Murdoch, the New, News UK, the Murdoch, the Murdoch Media Group ha, had done a sort of, take, done, done a bit, bit more thinking about the whole idea. And they, they came to the conclusion, um, I have to say after Stop Funding Heights started making lots of noise about this, that the, Mur- the Murdoch Group came to the conclusion that a Fox News style channel or a, the channel that they had in mind was actually not commercially viable in the UK. So then we're down to one, but the GB News carried on. And what was really interesting was after we launched our, our campaign and started talking to advertisers, so around February time, and, and we had a hashtag that went viral, don't, don't fund GB News. 
um, it felt like there was a bit of backpedaling and, and the official line from GB News was that they definitely weren't going to be like Fox News and they were denying that they were going to be trying to be like Fox News. But what they kept on um, pushing was this idea that they were going to be an anti-woke television station. Um, and the original meaning of the word woke, which started out in the US anti-racism movement, was, was you know, to be woke is to be anti-racist or to be alert to racism, racism and other forms of social injustice. So if you're saying that you're anti-woke, it's like saying you're anti-anti-racist. And, and, you know, our, our approach was, well, you know, if advertisers want to fund an avowedly anti-woke station, that's up to them. Equally, if you're a customer of a company and you don't like the idea of that company advertising with that kind of station you've also got a right to say it so we we kind of mobilized early on and um and we've kind of been going ever since it's yes yeah, been very interesting just to watch the kind of outcry from a group of people who state that they're all about freedom and that people should have the freedom not to take the knee and they should have the freedom not to do certain things but they don't seem to believe advertisers are do the same right it's it's amazing to see how people tie themselves in knots um because you know we're really we're really comfortable with this with this um, approach to campaigning, because actually, um, in law, in practice, companies are free to choose to spend their money where they want, where they don't want, and customers have every right to to use their freedom of speech to say, please don't advertise with this channel or that channel. And it should be said, this is not we are not the first campaign that has talked to advertisers to encourage them to advertise in you know, to, to, to not advertise in this kind of media and, and, and maybe support more responsible media. It, it's, not a, it's not actually that new uh, as a, a, an idea. And there's nothing, there's nothing inherently um, one side or the other about it. Actually, this, this model of campaigning has been used at least as often by, by um, you know, less progressive people as it has by progressive people. Um, and of course, it, it gives us a way of challenging toxic media that doesn't require the government to do anything. You, we're not saying we're not calling for any changes in the law. We're not calling for um, any kind of legal intervention at all that can sometimes have unintended consequences for freedom of speech. We're just essentially championing the the power of the market, right? So you 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 might think that <laughs> this is something that people across the political spectrum could get behind, but obviously um, it's human nature. It, it, people tend to love freedom of speech themselves, and less so for people that might be taking a different course and that that's just that's just something we're used to it's absolutely crazy to even hear the phrase anti-woke <laughs> i can't get over that that's awful why would anybody want to say that that's something that they stand for <laughs> i find that so mad so why would you want that it's it's amazing and also what's amazing is if you like the the, the only other channel that talks seems to talk as much about wokeness and being anti-woke as GB News is the original Fox News, right? Yeah. So, so it's a, it's a, the whole narrative, the anti-woke narrative is something that's been aggressively championed in the US by Fox News and the kind of Fox News tendency. So um, it's, yeah, it's, it's an amazing thing to have sort of seen really in the last few months. Yeah, it feels so backwards, I think. I mean, I feel like I'll always find a way to bring anything back to pop culture, but um, I'm not sure if anyone saw the film Bombshell about um, the employees at Fox News and the way that women were treated within the company and things like that. And even, I mean, that would have been a couple of years ago now, but um, 
it's just crazy to me that we could be going so backwards in Britain that we would now have a channel like this coming out. It's just absolutely crazy to me. And I think, like you said, you know, advertisers, oftentimes they won't know who they're advertising with and that's a big issue. But I'm so glad that there is something bringing that to people's attention because it's just absolutely wild that we would be supporting companies who actually might be behind the scenes supporting that kind of narrative and supporting that kind of statement going out about who they are. And it's just seems a bit bad. Yeah, yeah. And, and actually a lot of companies, it's almost like a lot of big companies in the last few years have been really trying to position themselves on the complete other side of that whole argument. I mean, like the Black Lives Matter movement last year that had had a lot of support from really big global brands uh, who, who spend a lot of money on advertising. And, um, you know, every year Pride gets more support from big global corporations. So um, you're right. It seems like a very odd time in a way in history mm-hmm. to be trying to launch an initiative, which in some ways is going against the tide in that, in, of all of that. Ultimately, ultimately, most people most people just want to live in a society where everyone gets gets along right actually that's a big part of it and you know p- people would rather be watching Paw Patrol that was sort of the headlines that <laughs> you know TV news got less 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 viewers than than um, than Welsh language Paw Patrol so uh, you know I think most people just don't 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 really want to go for that kind of polarization and that that's one of the things that gives me hope as well there's definitely a thing about all voices being equal on the world of the internet and i think there's an equality given to things that don't deserve equality there's a reason these things are fringe conversations um and i'm not sure you can give someone who thinks that climate change is definitely not true the same power that you would the same time and length to speak and the same backing that you would give 98% 98% of the world scientists who say that climate change is definitely man-made and, and ongoing. I think you're right. I, I, well, I, get, I think it, it comes down to some, re- there are some really big questions about what's the media for? Like, is the purpose of the media to um, provide clear, well-based, uh, you know, easy to understand, but accurate information uh, and bring about a more informed society um, or is it to um, represent every conceivable viewpoint? Because actually those aren't necessarily the same things because some viewpoints have a lot of evidence behind them and some don't. And, and there is such a thing, and, you know, unless you're a complete relativist, relativist, there is such a thing as truth. And it can be a matter of life and death as we're seeing in the pandemic, right? <laughs> it's like, there are some things which are just true about this terrible virus and, and there are some other things that... Are untrue and if people believe them that's quite dangerous so so uh, you know they, they got, some of this stuff does go right down to the you know big questions about what the media is for so, uh, how important do you think ad placement is to to marketers and to to businesses it feels like it's becoming more and more important to more and more advertisers um because one thing i think that's really really positive that we've seen in the last few years is, is there's been a series of initiatives that have launched within the advertising industry where marketers are getting together and they're saying there's a problem here we're not happy that our ads keep showing up in all these bad places which it's not just hate speech it could be you know there was a big scandal about being shown next to terrorist videos and really you know violent content and um there's a whole range of big ethical issues around around advertising in the internet uh, child welfare is another one right and it and it 
it feels like there's well it's, it's absolutely clear that there's a, there's a number of initiatives that have started in the advertising industry where marketers themselves are coming together and say we've, we've got to sort this out i mean for example the conscious advertising network which um stop funding hate is is a member of um has you know it's it's been brilliant to see how many big companies have started to get involved in that and how many sort of advertising professionals are getting behind that um companies like o2 recently joined the conscious advertising network sse so this is a this is a this is a debate that feels like it's really at the at the heart of the industry now whereas a few years ago it was only really you know much more on the fringes i just think it's so great i think it's a great opportunity to say thank you you know for um making such a powerful campaign which is actually having an impact on the way that people think about the brands that they're supporting and things like that as well because I mean I'm just wondering like do you have any advice for the companies because kind of like we're saying you know some brands may not know that they're advertising with unethical media outlets but is is there a way that they could be aware of that and they could be taking more steps to you know be forward thinking and more conscious about it to prevent their brand from being seen in this light anyway to prevent having to apologize for it you know after it's already happened that is a really good point and yes um the number one the number one piece of advice would be join the conscious advertising network um because the whole point of the conscious advertising network uh, as its name suggests is to help advertisers navigate through this whole challenging uh, and sometimes messy kind of issue and give them practical tools that they can use to like you say make sure that they're not caught out next to the bad content in the first place so that would be number one thing i would recommend um the other thing that's really positive is there are there are services out there which are commercial services now who didn't exist before who can give really detailed granular data on sites to avoid and put on your exclusion list and and sites that are more likely to be all right and one one example of that would be the global disinformation index gdi um so check those those people out there i, I mean they, they're doing really good work and they also they've got some good links to the conscious advertising network the last thing which i think is really possibly the most exciting is there's an initiative called the journalism trust initiative which is actually started by a press, press freedom organization, Reporters Without Borders. And the whole purpose of the Journalism Trust Initiative is to come up with a really well-grounded, credible kind of kite mark system for finding those media which actually do a really good job and do responsible journalism and do it the way that it needs to be done and it ought to be done. And one of the things I really admire about JCI is that they've they've had a lot of conversations with the advertising industry to create a framework where if you're a big advertiser with a lot of money and you want to support the good media there's there's a framework with JCI where you can say well I want to make sure that my money goes to media outlets that have achieved the the JCI standard um which it's not you know it's not it's it's not it shouldn't be super difficult but it's a kind of basic <laughs> Of assurance that this is a, a good media out there doing responsible journalism rather than one of the, the sort of clickbait merchants so the, those three things the conscious advertising network um check out the global disinformation index and definitely where possible try to support um journalism trust initiative certified media if you can 
I think that sounds amazing, specifically the um, journalism trust that you're talking about there as well. Thinking about how you can actually be pointing out the good things rather than, you know, all, always going back to the same brands, you know, these are doing the bad things. Like actually saying, you know, here here's a list of people who are actually doing well, who you should want to be advertising with. I think that that's such a nice way to look at it as well. And, and it, it, I agree. And it's, it's in a way, it's the same it's the same goal, right? Because ultimately, I mean, this stuff has always been about trying to shift the incentives around so that ultimately we get a better and a more responsible media. Yeah. Um, so it's 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 really we see it as the same thing. I mean, we you know we want good journalism to thrive and get properly rewarded, and that's part of part of the challenge that the world has at the moment. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. We'll put the links for that in the uh, podcast as well. I'm just looking Thanks. back, funnily enough, since we were talking, and uh, yeah, we covered the launch of the Journalism Trust Initiative in 2018, so it's been going... Amazing! It, it is great to see these kind of initiatives come together. I think the industry as a whole, and journalism, marketing, they're, they're kind of realising that we're all working in the same sphere now and that there's a, there's, there's a lot of crossover and that we need to be aware of what's going on. And... I think in the past, sometimes marketers have just washed their hands a little bit of it and just went, well, as long as people are seeing it, it doesn't matter. I think I'm glad to say I think that attitude is changing. I'm not sure whether it's changing at the core of the brain of marketers or if it's more that it's changing within uh, customers. I don't I don't actually care whether it's changing within as long as that change is happening. You know, as long as that change continues to happen, I don't really mind what drives it. I'm exactly the same and this has always been our approach we've got to be pra- practical we've got to be pragmatic you, it's not enough to make a moral appeal you've got to make the business case and just mathematically if enough customers are putting enough um, pressure on the companies they, they shop with then it, ultimately that's one of the strongest business cases that you can make uh, you, you don't have to make the moral case if, if it's something that customers are kind of demanding and they're showing that they're going to put their money where their mouth is. I do have to wonder, just simply from a marketing perspective, if you have actually noticed any sort of demographic that you can pull from this. Like, is there a certain um, age of person or from a certain region or anything like that that would be willing to come forward and put the kind of pressure on these companies or come to you at Stop Funding Hate and say, can we put pressure on this company instead? They're not doing as well as they should be. Is there any sort of demographic you can put on that or is it a really nice variety of just everyone? <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, what I've observed is it's really, really broad mm-hmm. um, because ultimately these problems affect everybody. Mm-hmm. Um and I mean, so we've got people who are students who support Stop Funding Hate. We've got people who are retired who support Stop Funding Hate. Um, one thing we, we're we really proud of is that we have um, n- many people in our supporter community who've been directly impacted by the issues that we're, we're challenging. So, so we've had really good, strong support from people in the trans community from the early days of the campaign. We've got allies and friends uh, and supporters from the Muslim community. Um, and, and the other thing that we've seen is one of the single most powerful messages that a brand can hear when we're talking about problematic media is when a customer says to them, look, this affects me personally. So actually, the, some of the most effective and powerful campaigners are people who can speak from personal experience and people who've been directly affected by that. So 
which also is empowering. So we sort of think of Stopping Hate as a kind of big tent campaign, like we're against all forms of discrimination and hate without exception. We welcome all people from across society who want to work together to do something about that. Um, and what's been amazing has been the sort of breadth of, of, of support that we've had, uh, also from across the political spectrum as well. So when you uh, open a newspaper and you see something that's basically an attack on Stop Funding Hate, do you instantly think, oh no, this is going to be a long day? Or do you think, yes, we're doing exactly what we need to do? Generally, we think that that's a sign that the campaign's had an impact because for a newspaper to take the trouble to um, research a whole story and, and spend the time to write a whole story about Stop Funding Hate, it shows that there's, you know, there's been enough of a um, an impact from the campaign that that's worth their while. Um, so it's kind of a it's kind of a, a measure of success, really. Well, just out of interest, what are your thoughts with regards to GB News? Is it likely to continue, or do you feel that the advertising block is having it's having an effect? So there's definitely a big drop in the range of advertisers on GB News. Um, there aren't very many. Um, big brands that we see now uh, at the moment at least uh, I think Sainsbury's and Halfords are the two <laughs> that stand out and then a lot of other brands that you know I hadn't heard of before to be honest I think I think GB News has a conundrum because um, on the one hand obviously there's an aspiration to um, push particular sorts of narratives that that might be might be good for, for polarizing and, and mobilizing certain certain people on social media who care very strongly about those sorts of issues. Um, so, for example, they attacked the England team for taking the knee um, before football matches. Um, they uh, they they've been criticised for their coverage of um, trans issues, particularly recently. Uh, but there are people that will gravitate towards that, and you can build up an audience that way, and that's. That's what we've seen in multiple different places around the world. The challenge for a, com a company that wants to make money from advertising is that exactly those same polarizing issues tend to be toxic for advertisers. So you might you might be able to have a channel that's relatively edgy but kind of moderates itself to keep the advertisers happy, <laughs> or you might have an, a channel that's really going all out and pushing those very more inflammatory narratives but it's difficult to see how you're going to do both and 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 so the question is you know maybe their multi-million pound donors uh who gave them this money to set up the channel maybe they're happy to keep on subsidizing the channel while they go down that more uh inflammatory divisive path um and maybe they could maybe they'll do that indefinitely that's possible but if that's the direction the channel's going to go in, then at the moment it's it's difficult to see how they're going to attract um, lots of mainstream advertising revenue. If there was one thing you could change within the whole industry, what would it be? The overall thing that we're trying to change really is um, the the fact that currently hateful clickbait is profitable. So if we can, if we can get to the point where you can no longer make lots of money by publishing hateful clickbait, then that would be transformative. And, and if uh, maybe related to that, it's like something like 400 billion pounds a year is spent on advertising worldwide. And so the big picture for us is if we can just shift 
a big enough chunk or help to shift a big enough chunk of that 400 million away from the bad and towards the good, again, that would be globally transformative. And do you feel it's happening? I, I, I mean, I haven't done the maths, but it, it definitely does feel like that's happening. Um, and more and more companies are, are doing this. So, you know, it, it only takes a critical mass of those big companies that spend billions of advertising a year to, to put those checks in place. And, and you, you could see that happening. So, Hannah, what was your uh, kind of take on this from the newly qualified marketer? perspective is this something you've noticed across the time you've been doing stuff I think that definitely you know I think that a lot of the time um it's very easy especially from a student's perspective to kind of turn a blind eye and only focus on either you know the really positive things that you're seeing and maybe sometimes it can feel uncomfortable to to challenge something that is negative um I think that from a young person's perspective, that can sometimes be something that's daunting is that maybe you don't want to seem like that overly woke kind of person. Um, But at the end of the day, you know, we all want to strive for a better place to live. And I think the part of growing up is realizing that you don't need to be ashamed of, of speaking out for what you believe in and that you shouldn't have to apologize for um, actually speaking out against any sort of hatred. Um, And I think that certainly from looking at it in my university experiences, that kind of thing, I think that it would certainly be very beneficial if we were to learn more about the campaigns that are trying to stop this kind of hatred rather than focusing entirely on the bad companies. I think it would be more important to focus on the change. And that's something that I wish that, you know, certainly from even doing this podcast, I wish that I knew more about, but simply because of the the academic background that I have, I I'm not as well equipped to speak on it as I wish that I was. I think that's a really interesting point about tackling the campaigns rather than the individual companies, because I'm not mm. sure that you can change the mind of a company in as easily. You know, the power of a campaign mm. might be. Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely worth looking at looking at the, the the new initiatives that emerged in the last few years. I mean, in fairness, some of it some of it is just you know, at last eighteen months that that it's really come to the fore. Like the conscious advertising network is is still very new. Um, I hope that, you know, in three or four years time, hopefully these things will be more widely known about and will, will be on the on the syllabuses of, of marketing courses because because it's it does feel like this is, you know, it's an important part of the way the world's going. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So do you uh, have a favourite ethical campaign yourself, the one that you've kind of seen other people do and you just thought, oh, I love that. That's a great campaign. Um, I have a special place in my heart for Ethical Consumer magazine. <laughs> as a whole um and part of the reason that for that I've, I've told them this as well is that that was that my mum used to buy ethical consumer magazine in in the early days when it when it had just started in the early 90s and I, I genuinely think that left that left an impression with me my my mum would always ensure she didn't buy the 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 oranges from South Africa during the apartheid era so and 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 I think, you know, ethical consumer were very much champions of that whole way of thinking. Um, so that's, a, I suppose that's an easy answer, but that's the one that always comes to mind when I, th- when I think about it. Um, I suppose the other one, the other one, okay, I'm going to say one more if I may, which is... So one thing I learned after we started this campaign and we started sort of looking a bit more at the background to ethical campaigning is in the 1790s, <laughs> uh, people in Britain 
took action using consumers um, against the slave trade. They boycotted sugar that had been grown on plantations that used slave labor. So I, I, the reason, one of the reasons, well, A, I think that's inherently, a, you know, it's a really admirable thing that they did that in the 1790s, but also it, it shows us that actually people have been doing this for literally centuries. This is a, actually a long proud tradition in, in, in Britain of people, of people um, taking action as consumers to, to fight racism and fight injustice. That's amazing. Yeah, it's brilliant. This goes back a lot further than I would have realised. Same with Ethical Consumer Magazine. That sounds so helpful, especially we've got so many options now, you know, it just sounds like an, ama an amazing thing to, to exist, that you could actually inform every one of your decisions. I think that something we spoke about on our last episode was how you know you can you can try really hard and occasionally you're going to slip up and you're probably going to buy something from someone who is maybe not as ethical for whatever reason but all we can do is try our best and you know try to have the best impact that we can and I think that's just that, that's such a nice story as well to hear about your mum doing that back back in the 90s that's amazing it is it is and, and I think I think you're right as well it's also very practical like there's no way in the world like the thing I like about ethical consumerism as a whole mindset is like we all know that the world is imperfect and like we can't live a life where we every single purchasing choice we make is is totally perfect right but ethical consumerism is a way of of doing what you can with the power that you have and that's very for me that's very practical and pragmatic and you know it, it let's let's approach the world as it is right now and look for those small ways that we can make it better and I think it's really important. It's something we discussed in the last podcast. I do think it's really important that people are aware and don't get hung up on the fact that everything you do doesn't have to make a difference and that sometimes you have to do what is right for you. And that might be that you have to buy something from Amazon because it's considerably cheaper and that's what you can afford to do. You, you can't get hung up too much on that, but just make the differences where you can. Yeah, completely. Is there anything else you've been enjoying recently? Have you been reading any good books, listening to any good podcasts, anything you'd recommend? Um, well, I'm definitely going to listen to the, the 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 archive of your podcast now that, now that <laughs> I've been on the show. Um, I mean, to be honest, it's um, a lot of the a lot of the inspiration that we see uh, is is also looking at what's going on elsewhere in the world. So um, there are there are some amazing campaigns uh, on you know challenging problematic media in 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 the US. Like I mentioned earlier, we've got allies in in Europe, we've got a great um, uh, sort of long-standing sort of informal link up with a group called Sleeping Giants. I love Sleeping Giants. Some of their marketing stuff is phenomenal. Um, and in, I, I suppose that I, 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 this is this is a little bit, you know, still talking about sort of hate-related stuff. But um, in in the US, there's some really interesting stuff going on where quite big organisations like Color of Change. And the NAACP, who long-standing civil rights group, um, they're really getting into some challenging conversations with the big tech platforms, and really putting pressure on you know people like Mark Zuckerberg, Facebook, to clean up some of those problems. And what I like about what's happening in the US is that it's not just new upstart campaigns that are doing this. It's it's organizations that are kind of big and have been around for a long time, very much in the mainstream. So a lot of the inspiration, I would say at the moment, for you know what can be going in a more positive direction is kind of looking across the Atlantic, seeing what's going on in the US. 
So, uh, Hannah, what have you been listening to over the last, uh, or reading, or watching, or? I do actually have another podcast recommendation. Let me just make sure that I'm saying it properly. So the one that I've been listening to um, recently is called What's Her Name? And so it's by Dr. Katie Nelson and Olivia Michael. And it's all about women in history that might have been forgotten about or left out of syllabuses and things like that. And it's actually really good because the episodes are only about half an hour long. So every day I just kind of listen to one in the morning when I'm getting ready and I end up going to my work and telling everybody about what I have learned about a certain woman <laughs> that morning. And I end up telling everyone about, you know, um, what was one that was really good? It was about um, the Porter sisters who were really famous authors in the kind of um, like the Georgian era around Jane Austen, that kind of time um, prior to the Bronte sisters getting their fame. But somehow they just kind of faded out of history and they even though they were more famous than all of those authors during the time that they were alive, they've just kind of been forgotten, even though they inspired like the book for, um, for Braveheart that Mel Gibson used one of their books to inspire his film. So um, that's just a little example, but yeah, that's definitely the one that I will be raving about this week. <laughs> well, I, I've been doing a bit more um, kind of of the mainstream brilliant, no such thing as a fish podcast, which if you haven't heard are, are amazing, which are, four questions set it's a weekly podcast and it's done by the qi elves so people behind the tv show qi so and they get together once a week and just talk about their favorite facts in a really funny way and it's just some of it is really funny always informative but yeah some of it's really good it's been really interesting uh, conversation is there anything else you'd like to uh, talk about richard i guess just um just encourage anyone listening to sort of check out Check out Stop Funding Hate uh, on social media if you haven't already, but also, you know, take a look at the Conscious Advertising Network, the Journalism Trust Initiative. There, there's some really positive things going on out there now that relate to marketing and relate to, relate to advertising that um, I think really could be transformative. Excellent. Yeah, we'll put all the links in the podcast uh, so anyone can follow. Well, thank you so much for your time. It's been really great speaking to you and I wish you so much luck because I think it's such an important campaign. Thank you so much. It's been great to, to be part of the discussion. Yeah, thank you so much. It's been very, very educational. I think I can see certainly from my perspective as well. So and just so interesting. And I, I love your passion for the subject as well. So, yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you so much to everyone who has taken the time to have a listen. Yeah, thank you so much. It's been such an exciting episode and we can't wait to have another exciting episode for everyone to listen to soon. Um, but yeah, as Stuart said, if you've got anything that you ever want us to discuss or any ideas that you've got for the show, just give us an email at podcast at ethicalmarketingnews.com and we'll try our best to incorporate that into one of our next episodes. And that's it for today's podcast. Thank you very much for listening. This podcast was edited by Stuart Mitchell. The music was by Joe McCafferty. We look forward to seeing you for the next podcast.